Oh, before we get started this morning, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity we have to come together to, to give you glory. Lord, that this entire service and all that we do would be for your kingdom, and for your glory. That's what we are created for, to give you worship, to lift you up. Lord, I pray that Jesus would be lifted high in this place. So Lord, as we go into the, the message and the word and, and all the things that are going to be happening, Lord, I pray that your presence is among us, that it works through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This morning, we're going to have a bit of a different service. Do you guys have the, uh, yep, there we go. A bit of a different service this morning. So if you didn't already know or you weren't aware, uh, a few weeks ago we had a young woman named Kelly Davidson come and take a look at our town and our church uh, to consider working here at Calvary in our children's ministry. And so the church leadership has been in prayer about and for her, and we have asked her to return and then share about herself as well as share a short message with the church in order for us to get to know her more. So we want to get to know her and get to know who she is. And, and so before she makes her way up here, and so I told her I was going to do this, so it's not a surprise, uh, I want to take us as a church body into a short study on what it means to raise our children. So raising godly children. What does that mean, to raise godly children? And by our children, of course, I mean the children of the church, right? Some people have ch children naturally, and some people have children spiritually. And don't think just because you don't have any children in the church that you get a free pass, right? So Mike, you have children in the church, amen? You don't get a free pass, right? Guess not, is what he said, right? Guess not. So they are the children of the church. And if you'll remember, just a few weeks ago, we dedicated three babies to the Lord. Amen? Awesome time, three babies to the Lord. And that's always a special time for me. It really is because it's a time that we're not just asking the parents of the children to be responsible for their faith, but we're asking the church to take responsibility for helping raise the children in the faith. And that's a big part of being a part of the church. If you are a part of this church, you have a responsibility towards the children of the church. Amen? John McMurtry, come on up here. If you're a part of this church, you have a responsibility towards the children of this church. Amen? Amen. Let's hear it louder, John. <laughs> Amen. Now, let's lead all of them to say it. Okay. Amen. Oh, thank you, John. That's such a good, a good job. <laughs> I might be picking on a couple of different people today. So <laughs> be on the lookout. We take on the care and the nurturing of the children of this church because it's what we see in the Bible over and over and over again. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way they should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, I've talked about this before. The context of that verse is in reference to training them up in a craft or a trade. So if I'm, if I'm a carpenter and I teach my child carpentry skills, when they get older, they're not gonna, they're gonna know carpentry skills. If they're a plumber, when they get older, they're gonna know plumbing skills. The same way in our faith, when we teach our children the ways of the Lord, as they get older, they might, they might walk away. They may sometimes run away in cases. But eventually, they will remember what was taught to them. They will come back. The Holy Spirit will remind them 
of God's love for them. Ephesians 6 urges fathers to bring up children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers. Now, we're not talking to mothers right now. God bless you. We're glad you're here. But let's talk to fathers for a minute. Men, if you're a man, raise your hand. I know that rhymes a little bit, and so that's always a good thing. If you're a man, you can't pass off raising godly children to the women of the church. We can't just pass it off because, well, that's, you know, women raise children. And we have done that for years in the Christian church. The church has been guilty of doing this for a long, long time. Now, I'm going to pick on Jeff Dahl for a minute. He knew I was going to do this. A, I warned him. I said, Jeff, I saw him yesterday. I said, Jeff, are you going to be in church tomorrow? He said, yeah. I said, good. I, he, he, and this is what he said. He said, yeah. And then he goes, now don't pick on me. So he's well aware. So I'm going to pick on you for a minute because I think this is a great example. So Jeff, what could you teach kids? That's the answer I told you to give. That's good. <laughs> teach them how to fish. What, how about fishing, right? So Jeff knows how to fish. You're a good fisherman, right, right Jeff? Average. You catch more than I do, right? Braxton, where's Braxton? He's not here. He catches a lot of fish too. So what if one Sunday morning you got some adult helpers and you took the kids down to the river fishing? And you go, well, that's unheard of. But what if we took them down there? We didn't just teach them about catching fish. We taught them how to be fishers of men. And so now we're, it's men leading the church. It's men leading children. Steve Mann, you have, young, you have young boys and you've got grandchildren now, right? You can probably take them out in the field and teach them how to lay tile. That is free child labor. <laughs> probably not the best example. The point is this. Men, you have something to teach our children. Men, you have something to share with our children. Amen? John, teach them all about pigs. Right? If we got a gift, if we got something that God has blessed us with, if it's something we enjoy doing, man, how many guys like camping? Right? Take your kids camping. Take a bunch of the kids camping. You go, that'd be a nightmare. I, I know. That's why you bring other people with you. <laughs> Deuteronomy tells us to teach our children in the ways of the Lord. Teach our children in the ways of the Lord. Now, many of the, these verses you know, of course, from the dedication services that we do, but here's one that you may not have heard before. And it's in the, in the book of 3 John. The Apostle John is writing to an elder named Gaius. And it seems that Gaius is a friend and a disciple of John. So in, in chapter 1, verse uh, 3 through 4, it says this. It gave me great joy, or I rejoiced greatly, when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. The next slide, it says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy 
This is Paul talking to his friend Gaius. This is Paul writing to a friend. How much greater is the love of God towards his children? I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Many times when we consider or we look at children's ministry, we fail to understand what the mission or the goal is. It is not a babysitting service for parents. Amen? Children's ministry should not just be a babysitting service. It's not just a time for, for the kids to get out of adult church and get hopped up on sugar, right? I mean, that's the fun part of it because then we get to give them back to you. So that's part of the fun of it, but it's, it's not just for kids to be entertained. It is a time for us to speak God's love and truth to them in a way that they can understand and comprehend. We talk to them at their level. Right, Tim? Tim talked about this in evangelism. Why? Because when you're talking to someone without the understanding or the comprehension, you get down to their level. Well, let me explain the theological concepts to you, young man. That's not what you do. Eli, Jesus loves you. Amen? So we talk to them, and you go, well, that just, I mean, I, I don't want to be a part of that. I mean, I'm meant, for, I'm meant for greater things. There is no greater legacy. Legacy is a big part of church. And what we teach our children now is what they will be teaching later. We are raising a generation of leaders and pastors and missionaries. And you go, that's not important ministry. That's because you don't understand ministry. Children's ministry, to teach our children in the ways of the Lord so that when they are old, they will not depart from it. At some point, I will retire. Not likely. Truth is, I'm probably going to croak while I'm preaching one day. I'll be old. Everyone's <laughs> like, yeah, this went real dark real fast. <laughs> I'll be giving a message and I'll be making a joke about Jeff Dahl and just. The truth is this. We want kids to have fun. And we want them to, to worship the Lord. We want them in that fun to get excited about Jesus. Amen? We want our children to get excited about Jesus. So how, how awesome is that to say, man, my kids love the Lord. Right? So in praying about and considering who God would use in ministering to our ch children on a staff level, I came across a young woman that we have seen has an awesome heart for the Lord has an awesome heart for missions, and especially for children. So will you please welcome Kelly Davidson as she makes her way up here. Good morning, guys. Uh, as he said, my name is Kelly, Kelly Joy Davidson. I was given my name by my dad. Um, my dad, I have, first of all, best parents ever. They love God. They raised me up in church and God. 
Um, and my name that my dad gave me means joyful warrior. Um, and I love my name and that's going to kind of come up here later. But I grew up in New York State, Jamestown, New York, which is famous for, um, it's the birthplace of Lucille Ball. And when you drive through there, you will know that because her face is everywhere. And I, I don't get me wrong, I love Lucille Ball. She was hilarious. Um, but it, that's pretty much all it's famous for, that and it's very a very depressed area. Now, um, about six years ago or so, I moved to Minneapolis and I have been there for, um, I've been working in a school district. I've been doing children's ministry in a church plant. Um, let me back up to kind of my childhood. I told you that my parents love God. They love the Lord. Um, I have a picture, I think, of myself. I don't know if it's, oh, it's my sermon title, Casting Cares. Couldn't get the picture. That's okay. But you can trust that. At some point in my life, I was adorable. I don't know what happened. I was really cute. But no. So yeah, I was, I was a cute little kid. I had an older sister. She is exactly two years, let's see, two years, seven days, 16 hours, and five minutes older than me. And she won't let me forget that. Um, and it, we grew up you know, our parents really did train us in the way we should go. And of course, life wasn't perfect, but um, they, my parents loved God. They ran the children's ministry on Wednesday nights at my church growing up. And we got to be a part of that. Um, in high school, as many kids do, I experienced some difficult times, um, but met a pastor named Chris, my youth pastor, when I was in high school. 16 years old or so. And he kind of took me under his wing as an intern after I graduated high school. And I got the chance to um, do this master's commission style program. And if you've never heard of a master's commission, um, it's where you have um, kind of like internships, a series of internships over a few years, and you do online Bible college at the same time. And so for three years, I interned under like seven different pastors. I traveled, we, we did not mean it to be a traveling program, but we kind of were in like six different churches in two different states, three different cities over the course of three years. God just kind of did this amazing thing where he brought us all over the place. And I got to, I lived in Flint, Michigan for a year. I lived in Detroit for a year. Um, it was really cool. And I got to grow a lot. I got, I did um, YWAM after college. So I did a DTS, a discipleship training school with YWAM, which was five months. Spent three months in Florida in the middle of the jungle, which I didn't even know Florida had jungle. I thought it was all uh, YWAM. YWAM is called Youth with a Mission. They love other acronyms, so it's YWAM. It's a missions program for specific, it was originally intended specifically for young adults, um, college age, slightly older than that, but it's now used by a lot of people all over the world. Um, so the first three months I spent in Orlando, um, well, outside of Orlando in the jungle, um, doing a lecture phase where we learned all about God. And then the second two months, last two months, we spent in South Africa. And I got to work there with children, with young women who were in um, trafficking situations. And it was a really cool experience. And missions has always been one of my biggest uh, loves. I actually have my degree in missions and I traveled to 
several different countries, I think like seven different countries now. And I just really, I really enjoy doing that. Um, a little bit about kind of how I came to be the person I am today. I have to go all the way back again to my childhood. When I was about four years old, I started having this weird germophobic face. I would walk around with my hands like this, and if I touched anything, I would have to go and wash my hands. And I would wash my hands until my hands were like raw and bleeding. And it eventually kind of grew out of that. My parents didn't really think anything else of it. A couple years later, we had a tornado warning in my hometown, which is kind of unusual there. It's very hilly. It's pretty much a, it's a river valley. You don't really get very many tornadoes there. And if you do, they don't really last long. Um, but after that, I just had this picture in my mind that as soon as the sky would grow dark, there was a tornado coming. I might never see my family again. And I would just cry my way through school if it was even so much as cloudy outside. And eventually that kind of lessened, although even like yesterday, just seeing the sky was like, eh, it's very cloudy out there. Um, not so bad anymore though. And as time went on, there were all these other little signs. In middle school, I started to pull my hair out. It's really strange. I had no idea why I was doing it, but for some reason I would just pull my hair out. And it got to the point where I had like balding spots down the middle of my head and I had no eyelashes and it was really strange. Well, come to find out when I was about 16, 17, I was diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder, which is an anxiety disorder characterized by obsessions or thoughts that you can't get out of your brain and compulsions, which are actions that help, well, you think might help ease that. And so part of that was trichotillomania, which was pulling my hair out, which is more common than you might think. I've actually encountered several people with it. It's not always very obvious. And so I was diagnosed with this anxiety disorder and I started to research anxiety and found that it was so much more common than I thought. Um, I just looked up the newer statistics this past week and 31% of people in America will experience an anxiety disorder at some point in their life, which is a point where the anxiety is worse than just, you know, occasionally feeling anxious. It's an actual issue in your life. And it doesn't discriminate. Men, women, children of all races, of all ages, anxiety disorders don't discriminate and anxiety in general does not discriminate. And I have a list of symptoms because I want you to think about a time in your life where maybe you were feeling a little anxious. Here are some of the things that might kind of indicate that there is more than just a little bit of worrying going on. Symptoms of chronic anxiety or anxiety disorders can include excessive worrying about irrational things like, you know, my house is going to blow away in a tornado, insomnia or restlessness, fatigue, difficulty concentrating, irritability, tension, heart palpitations, sweating and hot flashes, trembling or shaking, chest pains, shortness of breath, a feeling of terror or impending doom, which by the way, caffeine makes worse. I've been there. Um, digestive distress, repetitive behaviors, and intrusive thoughts. So those are just kind of some things that maybe you've experienced at some point in your life. And I just want to kind of share 
what I've learned about anxiety as I have overcome what has been probably the biggest obstacle in my life. Um, it is very common, like I said, 31% of people will experience an anxiety disorder and other everybody experiences anxiety at some point or another in one way, shape, or form. Um, and historically, it's always been that way. People used to be, and especially women, used to be institutionalized for hysteria, that's what they called it. And that is just a fancy way of saying they had some of these symptoms that could have indicated a lot of things, but probably one of the most common was anxiety. And it, there's no exception for biblical figures. I'm going to look at three people in the Bible who were experiencing anxiety and distress in ways that we may not have thought about before. Because we learn our Bible stories as kids. I teach them all the time. We, I, I don't remember as a kid stopping and thinking about, well, how did this person feel when they were dealing with this situation? We just read the words or hear the words or even see it acted out, and we don't really think about them as real people and what they may have been experiencing. The first person I want to talk about is Esther. Esther was in some really horrible circumstances. You're like, well, she was a queen. How horrible could it be? But think about it this way. She was an Israelite living in Persia, and so her people were very much discriminated against in her community. And she, they basically said, we're just going to come into your community and we're going to take all of the beautiful young women and they're going to belong to the king now. And that's what they did. They came in. They didn't ask if they were Jewish or not. They didn't ask anything like that. They just took all the pretty young girls and took them away, essentially kidnapping them, rounding them up. And then they were essentially raped by the king. And if he liked them, he would marry them. It sounds really dark when you put it that way, because those aren't the words that the Bible uses necessarily. But they didn't have a choice in this. If Esther had refused to go with the king's men, if she had refused to go into the king, she would have just been killed. So it's either kind of deal with it or die. It's one of those things that it's just, you know, you, you have to make a decision in the heat of the moment. What would you rather do? And she also found out that her people were doomed to die. Like Holocaust-style genocide, her people were going to be killed. And she had to risk death to go and take an audience with the king and ask that she could do something to stop this genocide. And when I think about it, kind of put like that, I can't even imagine the amount of anxiety she was feeling. She was taken away from her family, from her home. She was treated like an object by the king. And it, she found out that she was, her and her, all, everyone she loved was going to die. I can't even imagine how she was feeling. Her circumstances were incomprehensible to those of us who haven't been through that kind of thing. It reminds me of stories of people like Corey Tenboom, who was persecuted for her faith in Austria during World War II and was put in a concentration camp. There are some horrible circumstances that we can't even comprehend. Another person in the Bible that experienced a different kind of anxiety was Martha. 
If you remember the story of Lazarus being raised to life, and they, Jesus then went to his home where his sisters Mary and Martha were, and Mary just sat at Jesus' feet, and Martha was out cleaning and cooking and hosting. And that was very normal for the culture, in many cultures, most cultures. If a bunch of people suddenly show up at your house, you're going to be trying to feed them, trying to make sure they're comfortable, make sure your house looks decent. And it, this was not something she had expected. She didn't expect to have Jesus, and she knew Jesus was Jesus. She knew he was Christ. And so what a great honor to have him in her home, and yet how much pressure is that? No one was helping. Her own sister, who also lived there and should have been doing exactly what she was doing, just sat there. There was so much pressure to meet these high standards set by society and set by her own expectations that she completely missed the point of having Christ in her own home. She completely missed the point. The third person that I'm going to talk about is Jonah. Jonah's kind of a different one because he didn't really respond well to his anxieties. When Jonah was around, um, there were some social expectations, and one of those expectations was that Israelites hated Assyrians because Assyrians were always a threat to their safety. And here Jonah is asked to go to Assyria and share his faith with Assyrians in the city of Nineveh, which was like the Las Vegas of the ancient world. Like, that's where you went if you want to do horrible, horrible things. No judgment if you go to Las Vegas. Um, but Sin City, essentially, that's the nickname of Las Vegas, and that's what Nineveh was. It was the Sin City of the ancient world. And so he was asked to do this, this thing, to go to this horrible place, and it was very unbecoming. I mean, if you think about it, if God told you to walk into a strip club, it would be unbecoming. But God belongs in a strip club, too, let's be honest. Everybody needs to hear God's word. Jonah simply just didn't want to do it. He didn't want to face the social backlash of going to this sinful place. He just didn't want to do it, and so he ran away. He gave in to his anxiety, and he ran away. Now, I just gave you three different people. Um, Esther was dealing with some horrible circumstances. Martha was dealing with high standards that she was trying to meet, and Jonah was dealing with social expectations. Do any of those sound familiar? Everybody can relate to one of those, I'm sure. So how can we deal with the anxiety that comes with these things? You could be dealing with some horrible circumstances. I don't know hardly any of you besides maybe your names, and even that is fuzzy for most of you. <laughs> um, I don't know what you've been through. Maybe you or someone you love has dealt with a chronic illness, cancer, or an injury, and it, or maybe they've passed away. Maybe you've dealt with some horrible experiences at work or lost a job and have been in a tough financial situation. You might have horrible situations in your life, horrible circumstances. So what did Esther do? Esther fasted and prayed, and she asked other people to join her. 
That's really important. Ask other people to join you. And if somebody asks you to join them in prayer and fasting and support, do it. They need you, and that means they trust you. That's what she did, and then she followed God's lead, and she did something amazing. She faced her fears. It doesn't sound amazing, because at some point, most people do that. But can you imagine knowing that if you step past the threshold into the king's chambers, you could just have your head lopped right off? And she did it anyway. You probably have noticed that I'm up here in bare feet. I was just talking to Jackie this morning about how I actually don't like to be barefoot. But oftentimes when I'm speaking in front of people, I take my shoes off because it makes me uncomfortable. And I like to be uncomfortable sometimes because it gives me a chance to let God move. Because it's strange and awkward and it, it's okay. It's okay if it's strange and awkward. I'm going to read Isaiah 41 verse 10. In Isaiah 41, verse 10, it says, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God is always with us. We think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. There was four people in that fire. Three went in, three came out, but there were four. God was with them the whole time. And God is with us the whole time. There's a fairly newish song that I've really been enjoying, a worship song. Um, and I guess I don't really know the name. But it talks about how I'm surrounded. I'm surrounded by God. He goes before us. He goes behind us. He walks beside us. And he's within us. God is always with us. When we face our biggest fears, he is there with us. And that's comforting. It's kind of like having a bodyguard, a big burly bodyguard right behind your shoulder all the time. He will never leave us or forsake us. Joshua 1.9 tells us that. He will never leave us or forsake us. He is with us. And maybe you haven't dealt with some horrible circumstances that have required great bravery and courage. But a very common one in our society, a very common cause of anxiety is the pressure to meet high standards. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's at home. Maybe it's on Instagram or TikTok or whatever is popular these days. I don't keep up. Um, that's what Martha was dealing with. She was dealing with having to meet these high standards and be the hostess. She had to be the best host, provide the food, keep things clean, cater to everyone. But she was missing the point, and she had to be told by Jesus Christ himself to sit down and be still. Sometimes, a lot of the time, I identify with Martha far more than Mary. I wish Jesus Christ in person was standing next to me saying, sit down and be quiet. It might be easier if, he would, if I could hear that audibly. But God is not about the standards in our society or in our lives, he's about a relationship with him. Mary was the one sitting at his feet, drinking it all in, asking questions, listening to him talk, having that relationship with him. 
that's what he wants. He doesn't care if our house is dirty. He doesn't care if somebody who wanted a hamburger actually got a hot dog. Sorry if you really like hamburgers and didn't get one, but God is about relationships. I was recently reading a book, um, and it put, it put this in kind of a different perspective, the whole hosting thing. And I didn't realize this until then. We often will invite God into our circumstances. But here's the thing. He's already there. God, we are not hosting God. He is hosting us. And it, all we have to do is show up and respond to his invitation. We don't have to worry about setting the stage We don't have to worry about putting on the best show, making the best food. Is doing our best in things important? Yes. But what's more important is our relationship with God, responding to his invitation of having that relationship and just being there with him. My mom always said when I was growing up, you know, I would tell her, oh, I'm really nervous about this, or I don't think I can do this. And her saying was, just do your best. Always do your best, and God will do the rest. God will do the rest. In the book of John, in chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Sorry, I have all these little bookmarks that I have to deal with here. Um, chapter, John chapter 1, verses 10 and 12, it says, He was in the world, he meaning Christ, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. We just have to receive Jesus. That's all we have to do, receive Christ. And, of course, that was speaking specifically of the Jews. He came to the Jews. He was a Jew. Jesus was a Jew. But they didn't receive him. The Gentiles were the ones who really opened up and received him. So all we don't have to worry about those high standards. We just have to have that relationship with God. And then what do other people think of you? Maybe you're not meeting the high standards. You might be concerned about what are they going to think? If I'm showing up to church in my pajama pants and my hair's a mess and my car is filthy and it, What are other people thinking of you? Well, don't look at Jonah as an example because he didn't handle those expectations very well. He was too worried about basically betraying his own society that he ran away and had to be eaten by a whale in order for God to say, wake up. Wake up. This is what you're supposed to do. And then even when he listened afterwards, he still had such a bad attitude about it that we don't even know what happened to him. We didn't even finish the story. (laughs) But we do know that God still worked through him, and that's amazing. But don't look at Jonah as an example of how to handle, what are other people going to think of me? What are they going to think of me? Eleanor Roosevelt at one point said, you wouldn't worry so much about what others think of you if you realized how seldom they do. Maybe that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. But people don't care. (laughs) People don't care. They don't 
care if you've gained 20 pounds. They just care, hey, are you kind to me? People don't care if your house is filthy when they drop by for a visit, unexpectedly or not. All they care about is, hey, are you going to, you want to sit down and chat? Are you going to have a relationship with me? God knows our hearts and our thoughts and our motives, and that's what matters. When I uh, first started doing children's ministry in my church in Minnesota, I focused on one specific word, and that was the word try. Because what God wants from us is for us to try and to try our best, and he'll do the rest. It's okay if we fail, because we're humans, and we fail. We're fallible people. But if we're trying, honestly, truly trying, and again, he sees our hearts, he sees our minds, he knows that if we're trying, well, I'm trying to get out there next week. No, he knows if we're actually trying or not, so we got to actually try. In Romans 12, 2, a very famous verse says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Don't be conformed to this world. It's okay to be different. It's really okay to be different. Now, the problem with our world is that they tend to think that people who are different because of their faith maybe aren't so great. And in 1 John 3, verse 13, it says, do not marvel, my brothers, if the world hates you. Don't be surprised if people hate you because you are not meeting their high standards and social expectations because that's not what our lives are about. It's what the world is about. It's how it came to be the world, but that's not what God is about. So don't be surprised if people hate you or don't like you or snub you because they think that you're failing at being a perfect person because you're not a perfect person. It's okay. And here's the good news. Even when you're dealing with anxiety or other issues in your life, God's love can overcome anything that you deal with. Anxiety, depression, horrible circumstances, stress. God's love can overcome all of that. In my own experiences, my anxieties have been replaced by peace. Now, I do occasionally still feel anxious. Yes, that's normal. It's part of being human. But there's a peace that surpasses all understanding. I don't know why, but I can feel peace. I recently left my job at a school district, and everyone was like, well, what are you going to do? How are you going to make money? I was like, I don't know. It's a good question. But I trust that God is telling me to do this, and it's time to move on to something else, and I'm okay with not knowing. That's, that's really difficult, a really difficult place to get to, and sometimes I'm not okay with not knowing, but I have to pretend I am until I am. It's okay. My anxious thoughts have now become reminders to trust God. Now whenever I realize that, hey, I've been circulating this irrational fear in my brain for the last two hours, and that's why I haven't slept in three days, you know, I'm like, wait, I don't have to worry about that because God knows what's going to happen. It's okay. I can give it to him. Give it to him. And I know that things maybe aren't going to be perfect. It's okay if we're uncomfortable in life. It's okay if things go wrong. 
because God is perfect and he knows what's going to happen. I, one thing I really like about the Bible is that it has, you know, especially the letters from Paul to the churches in the New Testament, they always open and close with a greeting. And almost all the time that greeting is, peace be with you. Peace be with you. When I went to Romania, the people in the church, Christians specifically, greeted each other by saying pace, which means peace, pace. That was their greeting. They didn't say hello. They didn't say sup. They didn't shake hands or hug. They said pace, and they just gave it a little nod. Peace. I hope things are peaceful with you. I love that. I really love that. Um, I had said earlier, we, I give, my, give those anxieties to God when I'm circulating those thoughts around. And I get that from the verse in 1 Peter, chapter 5, verse 7. And it, it's very well known, but um, it, says to, it says, Cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Cast your cares. Somebody was talking about fishing earlier. What do you call it when you throw it? Casting, right? Am I right? I don't know anything about fishing. Throw it. Get it out there. Give it to God. His, he can carry it. He's got it. You don't have to worry about it. Let him handle it. Let him handle it. Cast your cares onto him. Are you worried about your bank account? Give it to God. Walk away for a few minutes. Give it to God. Now, that doesn't mean you should be living on the street and, you know, not feeding your family. Let God handle that. If he cares for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field enough to provide for them, he'll provide for you. But you have to trust him. And that's the thing. In Isaiah chapter 55, if I can find it, sorry. I apologize. I'm a little slow at this part. Isaiah chapter 55 Verses 8 and 9. There it is. I lost it. <laughs> um, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He knows what's going to happen. We don't have to worry about things because he's in control. Even if the world is in chaos, and I think we can all agree that the world is in chaos most of the time, if not all of the time, and sometimes it feels like our personal worlds are in chaos. You know, you don't have a job, you don't have enough food to get through the week. Maybe somebody in your family is sick. It feels like things are crazy, especially with COVID and everything is all over the place and nobody knows anything about anything anymore. And that's okay, it's okay. Because God is in control, even during the chaos. One of my favorite verses, the one that I've been repeating to myself pretty much every day since I first read it, is Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, another very popular one. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Esther didn't know what would happen if she just let all of that happen to her. And if she stepped foot in to, into the king's chamber and it asked for an audience with him, she, she could have been killed. She could have been put in the dungeons. She, there could have been a million things that could have happened, but she did it anyway. She didn't trust on her own understanding. 
Because if she did, she wouldn't have gone in there because it was the death sentence to go in without being asked to go in to the king and request that her people not be killed. She would have been put to death by order of the law of the land. But God is better than that. He knows better. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And he gave the king the grace to allow her an audience with him. And because of that, the Jews were saved and the line of Christ could continue. And our, our own understanding is so fallible. Sometimes I, we were talking yesterday a little bit about how it's so funny I had planned, you know, what, planned, planned. When I was a teenager, I want to be married by 25, and I want to have four kids, and they, you know, all these plans in life. And do you think that's happened? No. <laughs> no. God's ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. My understanding is not God's understanding. He has his own plans in life. And in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, which is one that I lost here, so you might need to give me a second. Um, And the Philippians is one of those letters, there it is, that, um, that begins and ends with peace. Peace be with you. In chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in every way, or in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It's hard to not be anxious. Trust me, I've been there. It's sometimes just a biological response to your circumstances, and that's okay. But you still need to give it to God. Bring everything to him in prayer. Bring everything to him in prayer, and he will give you that peace. He will take that anxiety from you because his yoke is easy and his burden is light, and he can take it on whenever we can't handle it. He can handle it. He will give us that peace. Now, you might... You might at some point be thinking, why is this crazy person in bright clothing and a cat in a braid standing up here barefoot talking to us about her entire life and everything that she struggled with and being super open about that? Because you don't know me and I don't know you, but that's okay. I'm sharing this because this is the testimony that God has given me and he has made such a big difference in my life He has done so much in my life. I am not the same person I was 10 years ago, five years ago, one year ago. I'm constantly, for lack of a better term, evolving (laughs) because of God. And I know that God can reveal himself to you in a similar way. doesn't matter if you're 10 years old or 97 years old or anywhere in between. God can reveal himself to you and change you. The summer before I moved to Minnesota, I worked at a summer camp, and our theme was Thrive. You guys heard that song that's like, uh, I, I, I can't sing, but there's a song about it where, you know, it's a Wren Collective song. You might know it if you heard it. But it's about a tree growing and, our, and the church thriving, church thriving. It was based off of this, these two verses in Jeremiah 17, which is what I'm going to kind of end with. Jeremiah in 17 verses 7 and 8 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. 
For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river. And it will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. If you think of yourself as a tree, dig your roots deep into God. Read his word, listen to his word, pray, ask questions, answer questions, be a community. Dig your roots deep. Spread out your leaves to soak it all in. And you don't have to be afraid of anything when the heat comes, when the enemy comes. You don't have to be afraid because you have your source of water, of life, is God. Accept his unfailing love and peace, which can be difficult. It can be hard to accept God's unfailing love and peace because we are not perfect. We can, we can fail others, but God won't fail us. And trust that God is always with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and then if Pastor David wants to come back up and close out the service. God, thank you so much just for these amazing people and for the opportunity that you've given me to come and share a little bit of my heart and your word with them. God, I pray that even when things are difficult, when circumstances are horrible, when high standards and social expectations kind of get in the way, I pray that you will just be a reminder. You'll give, give everyone a reminder of how much you love them and that they don't have to strive to be perfect. They don't have to give in to just the horrible circumstances, but you are always with them. All you want is a relationship with them that they can try. They have the strength. They have the courage. You will not leave them, God. I pray peace on the people of this church, God. I pray hope and trust and love on these people. And I pray that they will walk in that as they leave here and go into their week, God. In your name I pray. Amen.